You're listening to the Southeast Asia Business Podcast with me, Dana Bluen. Oh yeah, flip it, flip the airplane mode. Uh, if you can't reach me, I apologize. I didn't ignore you, I was in the skies. In disguise, man, you know I got a big surprise. Ask me why, cause I'm trying to... What's going on, everyone? Dana Blue in Southeast Asia Business Podcast here on EFM, the one and only podcast network for entrepreneurs by entrepreneurs in Manila. We're talking with Gina Romero. She is the co-founder and CEO of Connected Women. It's a sort of a outsourcing, but also a network community-based business. We're going to get into a lot of that because there's some interesting things going on here. I think we're going to get some great stories out of this interview, so definitely stay tuned. Gina, thank you for coming on the show. Thank you for inviting me, Dana. So talk to me about Connected Women. What is it? Um, so... Whenever I talk about Connected Women, I always explain what it is now because yep. it's been quite a few different things. But okay. what it is now is it's a platform and we match women entrepreneurs with um, women who work from home. So Filipino remote workers. Mm. Uh, it's, the idea is it's like a kind of Tinder. So it helps you find your perfect match of a virtual assistant, but not in so, a so how can I download? Way. Oh, <laughs> so how can I download this app? <laughs> no, okay, so... It's and I know Philippines is very well known for virtual assistants and that type of thing. It's a popular location, especially things like Upwork or Odesk back in the day, where people would come on and they would try to find um, you know virtual assistants. Philippines pretty much dominated that marketplace, it, but you're different in, in a way, right? You have a, a more of a niche type of appeal. Yeah, so we're focusing very much on. Um, women who are looking for long-term um, remote work, we're really looking at how we can help because there's like a lot of talent in the Philippines. Mm. So, um, but there's also a lot of unemployment. So we found that there are just so many women who drop out of work um, once they have kids, for example. Mm. And it's just so difficult to get around. You know, the traffic is bad and, yeah. and everything's kind of like difficult in terms of finding work here for women. So um, if we can help women find sort of long-term stable jobs where they can work from home and still have stay close to family, then that will actually help alleviate unemployment. Hopefully mm. that's Hopefully. on this side. Um, but also working with women entrepreneurs for, gosh, about 12 years now, a lot of women entrepreneurs are stuck in kind of like small business mode. So they really need someone to work with, you know. And Philippines is great because we have great English speaking skills. We have great customer service skills. And all of those are really transferable to online work. Mm. We have good connectivity now as well. So, well, I was just going to ask that because a lot of things with virtual assistants, working remotely requires connectivity, you know, being able to get on the internet. Philippines is an archipelago nation. That causes quite a bit of issues with regards to access and infrastructure. Mm. So outside of Manila area, Metro Manila, it, do you still get a lot of women who can access high levels of connectivity, high enough to be able to work remotely? Yeah. I mean, I think everything, of course, there are areas where you know connectivity is still a challenge yeah. and there's a lot of work happening right now to build that infrastructure. But I think most of the main city hubs are actually fine. Like I work... Um, from my mom's town, which is like really rural. I get like data on my cell phone. I can do I can do Slack, I can do emails, I can do, you know, Dropbox, Google, all the things that I need to do, Facebook, mm. um, on really limited data. Of course, if you're using really heavy, um, like bandwidth heavy applications, then it becomes a challenge. But most of the women in our network are looking for kind of basic admin type work. So okay. yeah, it works, it's fine. We have 15 um, team who are all over 
um, the Philippines remote, and we work nine till six every day, and we get by. So. so no problem. All working remote is not an issue. And so you find that you're you're matching women with employers from other parts of the world. They're not having an issue with connectivity. Um, well, we're still pretty early in terms of the platform itself. We've done some trials where we've matched women in Singapore and in the UK, and they've been fine. I mean, most of the types of work that they need to do, they can actually do easily using cloud-based tools, which okay. is quite, you know, it's quite... Yeah, it seems to be fine. Sometimes you have kind of like big infrastructure um, up, upgrades in cities where you'll have downtime. And then typically they'll just go to a co-working space. There's so many co-working spaces and cafes now that they can get to. So it's more about the resourcefulness, I think, of the person um, yeah. to get connected than anything else. So what made you come up with this idea, though? I mean, what made you see that there was a need? Because I said there's already companies servicing you know, virtual assistants, virtual work. And I know that you have a background in kind of women entrepreneurship, but like what, what made you decide like, okay, I can take a niche of this away from the big players? <laughs> yeah. So actually this was never on my radar as a solution. It was one of those things where, um, so I ended up in IT by accident. I was not in IT by any means. I didn't even have a computer when I met my husband and I bought my first computer from him. So this is like 1970? <laughs> <laughs> I don't know what to say. Um, yeah, I, I, there was literally like nothing in my blood that was really inclined to technology. I, but I'm really like into community, really into people, really into customer service. But I kind of fell in love with technology just because of how it connects people. So that was, God, remember ICQ? It wasn't the I 70s. I used to love ICQ. That was awesome. That was my first experience of using a computer. I was like, wow, you know, I can speak to people from everywhere. I connected with my friends from high school because I was in UK at the time. And <clears throat> so that kind of opened my eyes to the power of technology to connect you with people. And I think mm. that's why I fell in love. And then getting involved in um, an IT company, we were selling laptops on eBay. We were doing like, you know, sort of small business, home business, Wi-Fi when Wi-Fi was really early. I just really, really fell in love with technology. So I became a bit of an advocate for technology, I guess, in the women's space. Okay. Um, and then, and I just realized that there was a lot of resistance, you know, like, especially when social media kicked in. So um, a lot of women entrepreneurs were like, oh, you know, I know I need to use social media, but I don't really understand why I have to post about what I'm eating, stuff like that. So I started doing training, mm. um, just like casual training and sort of trying to help out ladies to get more... Um, tech savvy and then um, when we moved to Singapore and I kind of built a bit of a reputation I guess for um, being having this community of women who wanted to learn tech so we worked with Google we worked with Microsoft we worked with Twitter we worked with all different companies that wanted to um, just help women get use their tools better. Does Singapore have the same issues with resistance that Philippines had? Yeah, I think so from the UK to Singapore back to the Philippines, I think this demographic of women all have a similar challenge. Like really? it's it's because they've come from corporate most of the time. So our kind of like network have come from the corporate world. They're used to having teams um, that do stuff for them. And then they um, they pick up on the side hustle or they follow their dream. They start something up and then they realize that they have to do all the implementation themselves and they don't really like that stuff. So having someone like you can come and kind of give some training or help with that kind of systematic moving forward is a big help for them? Well, so Connected Women started as a company that had an advocacy to drive technology adoption by women-led businesses and startups. That was how we kind of 
we saw that we could help the women's entrepreneurship community. But after about two years of running events with all these big companies um, and watching the community, we realized that they were still not really adopting the technology. So um, I kind of got burned out. Like we were running all these training events, people were coming, they were, we were delivering all the content, we were providing the tools. And then after two years of sort of looking at what people were actually adopting, um, I realized that most were not actually utilizing the tools as effectively as they could. And so I, I sort of went back to the drawing board and I wanted to figure out why they weren't adopting. Mm. Um, and then one day it was like a, like a BFO, you know, like the blinding flash of the obvious. I just said to my husband, well, maybe they just don't actually like <laughs> the tools. Like maybe they don't really enjoy implementing technology and, you know, like the nitty gritty of the back end setup yep. and all of that stuff. Um, and then we realized that actually we should just find and match them to someone who actually likes doing that. And then they can focus on the strategic and the creative side. And so that was kind of step one for you? Yeah, that was step one. So, well, we hired our own team. So we start, we built a platform, which was like a magazine platform. And mm -hmm. it, we encouraged the women from the community to share their expertise on that platform. So it was kind of like, um, we helped them do content marketing. So they could send us their content about law or accounting or bookkeeping or fitness or whatever they were passionate about. And we would edit it up and push it out on our platform, share it with the community. Um, and so as this became quite popular, I ended up hiring my own remote team mm -hmm. um, to the point that um, I realized after like a couple of years, I had six remote people. And then the ladies in the community were asking me like where I was finding my, my team. Okay. And I said, well, they're all in the Philippines, you know. They're kind of remote editors, remote designers. Um, so that's where it stemmed from. The ladies would say, well, well, could you help me find someone? Because I need someone too. And they, didn't, they don't really know um, necessarily how to outsource or how to use out, um, you know, Upwork or these type of platforms. And so you were kind of able to bridge that gap. Yeah, we're looking at um, you know, the women who are not already outsourcing, who don't know, um, especially not outsourcing to the Philippines. They don't really know how to you know, how much to pay or mm. what kind of skills there are, what, what they can outsource, what they can't outsource, um, and all of these things, like even how to send the money that, you know, people don't know. They ask me these questions. And then on this side, we're really looking at women who are not yet on platforms like Upwork or, um, or any of these sort of existing platforms. So what, what is the salary like for a woman in the Philippines who wants to outsource? Because I remember the first time I ever used, I think it was Odesk at the time, I, I could outsource to the Philippines and pay someone like a dollar an hour, a dollar US an hour. And, you know, that's before O-Work took their cut. Mm -hmm. You know, you get pretty decent work, like quality for like essentially a slave wage. Yeah. You know, and you're so much um, talent and yeah. sort of like resource available. Um, so for us, we're looking more at women. Um, who have already worked in corporate. Mm. So they already have some good soft skills. They've probably been at, you know, they have degrees for the most part. They've had um, probably five years of corporate experience or they've worked in the um, business process outsourcing um, um, uh, companies already. And so typically they just need a little bit of transition to learn how to work remotely and they're quite experienced. Mm. So you can rely on them to manage things. So around about probably 25,000 to 30,000 pesos starting which is about per $600 week, each per, per month. Per month. Yeah. Right, that's, so, that's comparable to a corporate 
really? corporate so, wage. So the, the salaries are quite low here then. Yeah, yeah. yeah. I mean, it, it starts at entry level, but I think, you know, it's getting more and more competitive because um, a lot of the women are becoming aware of platforms like Upwork where they mm. can actually outsource to the U.S. and earn U.S. Um, US wages. So I'd say anywhere from sort of like um, five, six hundred dollars for someone starting out all the way up to a thousand plus for someone really experienced. Okay. And that, yeah, that's a pretty good value depending on, you know, what the ROI is there for the person paying, right? Absolutely. And that's full time. So the thing is for us is a lot of the women that we're matching um, to virtual assistants, they want someone who's going to be there in the morning and all the way through the day and, you know, be able to help them with all areas of their business. So pick up on their emails, deal with all the admin, you know, even opening posts can be done pretty much remotely now, as long as everything's scanned up, like yeah. everything can be pretty much done um, by a remote person. Now, one of the things I always thought was interesting about the Philippines is there are a lot of call centers uh, located here. A lot of call centers get outsourced. I've actually talked to a few in the past to support some of the tech companies that I'm involved with. And uh, my failed producer, Emily, she was here just last week talking to me about how uh, Emily had made a comment about how, like, it seems the parts of the city live on other people's time zones. You know, and that, that seems to be a big part of it, a big driving factor for certain parts of the economy here. You know, a lot of that does get kind of outsourced. People do work remotely as call center reps now. Do you have any, like, kind of interest in that in your pipeline? Um. What, sort of building out as a call center type business? Well, making those jobs available to some of your um, staff. At the moment, um, our main focus is on matching one-to-one, -one, just because nobody's really addressing that. I okay. mean, and also it's the way that we match as well. So, you know, women um, specifically have lots of kind of ups and downs in life in terms of drive and availability and career. So, mm. um, you know, we really understand that space and we really want to match women to something that is right for them right now. So, for example, you you know, your drive as a woman goes up and down according to where you are. Some women who are sort of, before they've had kids, they're like really ambitious. They want something that's going to be really, um, help them grow in their career, opportunities where they're going to be really pushed and stretched. Um, whereas sometimes when you're kind of in between um, two kids, you want something a little bit more flexible. Um, and then, you know, sort of post-child rearing, when your kids go back to school again, you might want to pick the career back up again. So mm. what we're really trying to do is, um, understand where they are in their sort of career drive um, and then match them to a woman entrepreneur that would actually suit. So the sort of semi-retired woman entrepreneur who's maybe a therapist would work really well with um, a, a woman VA who's going into, say, her second baby and just mm. wants flexible additional income. Whereas um, someone who's come out of the corporate world and they really, really want to push themselves might match really well with a startup. So that type of matching is is what we're really passionate about. And we want to start looking at how we can use technology to actually understand these patterns better and actually make better matches. I, I was just about to ask you about that because I, I was going to ask how much actual human resource has to go into the matches. And like, what are your plans to kind of move away from that? So what kind of tech are you looking at? Well, let's start with how much human resource goes into the matches now. Okay, so right now we're, we're just developing a kind of like a more of a, a database type mm. subscription service just because we have applicants coming through mm. that are waiting. But we're actually looking at building a really intelligent matching engine so that most of it is done um, like Uber style. Gotcha. Like your match pops up and it's actually a match that's right for you and we take into account many different parameters. Um, but especially we want to address things that most of the time job portals don't address, like career, drive, and 
preference. Mm. Like, you know, what is your preferred area of work? Um, that's like a really big part of what we're trying to match is because we there's a lot of women that are coming into like second chance um, mode. So where they may have been an accountant their whole life, but they're really passionate about marketing and they love marketing, they might want to transition at this point in time. So we try and match them, even if they're coming in at a junior level, for example, we can match them to someone who's more skilled in marketing that's willing to take on someone and train them. Mm. So yeah, we need algorithms and... So what do you guys, I know you said you're, you're not a tech person. Your, <laughs> your husband is the co-founder, CTO as well. So I take it he's tackling a lot of that? Um, well, he's not software, so... Well, but I mean, um, he's overseeing that kind yeah, of... Yeah, he's looking at... So I look at the, the user experience side. So for okay. me, it's all about the user experience. Like, that's really all I care about in terms of the platform is like... And a little bit on how it looks, but mainly on how the customer will experience our site... When it comes to like, how do we make it work? Yeah, yeah. I tend to offload that to Bobby. <laughs> and we also have a co-founder, Ruth, and okay. she's on the business side. Okay. Um, so Ruth's been in co um, clean energy, renewable energy for the last 10 years. She's Filipina, nice. she's been here. Um, she started renewable energy companies here in the Philippines when renewable energy was pretty much voodoo. Um, really? No one really knew. She, she does solar um, panel installation. Okay. She deals with energy investment projects all the time. So she's big in the space. Yeah, she's really, really big in the space. I mean, we, you know, they talk about like the the hustler, the mm. the hipster, and the and the um, hacker. Like we really are those three. Um, okay. I have so little interest in the money side. Sorry, Ruth, if you're listening. I just <laughs> I love the community side. I she she's always like stop saying that because we want to make money because we want it to be sustainable. Yeah, you want a business. Yeah. And there's no doubt about that. But my heart is always on the community building side and and the user experience side. So. So yeah, but I think I've, I've, I think I'm passionate about what tech can do. So mm. therefore, I become te technical because I just want to understand how we can make a better experience using tech. Mm. But and it's good for you to have the Ruth that focuses on oh, yeah. the, the business. Side. I would die if I didn't have a business partner on something like this where we need funds to grow. Mm. I would not, I would not enjoy my work. Um, so she focuses really on the fundraising and, um, you know, like compliance and the legal stuff and all of that. But she's really entrepreneurial, actually. Mm. She's not, she's, she's definitely entrepreneurial, but I think she's, she takes more of a backseat as a mentor mm. um, in this business because she has her main business. And then, yeah, it's good to not have to think about the fundraising side and the contractual side, right? Yeah. Like that's a whole other area. Well, that's that the you... fun side for some people. Exactly. I mean. <laughs> So you have her to rein you in when you start getting out of control with uh, <laughs> with the community side. Well, she she literally finds it fun. Like she loves what she's doing on the investment side, and she doesn't have the time to get involved on the day to day. So mm. she leaves me to it, and I enjoy the product a lot. Actually, I I think I probably God, I'm gonna blurt out some secret, but I, I think I probably enjoy the product development more than the community side because okay. you know I the product is more. Um, to me, it's like you can reach more people, you can create more impact, mm. whereas the in-person community side takes a lot of energy from me. A lot of resources to run events, to, to manage a yeah. community, yeah. Yeah, we don't have a lot of resources. We're running like really kind of in bootstrap mode. So I think, um, 
I think I'm really looking forward to kind of like using this platform to to kind of clone myself. <laughs> like okay. I want, because I'm a good networker. I've been networking for like 12 years and I, I trained networking from the previous organization that I was part mm. of. So I think a lot of the matching is networking skills. Mm -hmm. And so if I could replicate that through tech and not have to do it manually and then reach more people, that would be really cool. Yeah, I, I think that's, you know, what we've seen with the proliferation of social media, especially since the early 2000s. The ability to to scale out growth across people, you know, through connections, and I, I think that's become a very powerful tool in today's world. And to be able to replicate it on niche scale is a very interesting concept. Something as niche as women entrepreneurs matching with women uh, virtual assistants or remote workers in the Philippines—very interesting. Yeah, uh, we've had a lot of that? people as well asking, like, would you would you consider like opening up, up to men as well? Would you consider um, opening up the VA side to other countries? And I think, in theory, yes. Like, why not? Right? If mm. we could do that in a meaningful way, um, then we could look at that. So the so so the, what, what would make more sense <clears throat> for you though, from your vision perspective, opening <clears throat> to other countries or opening to men? Opening to other countries and markets, yeah. yeah. I, so we've so the company is actually called MetaMatch, mm -hmm. um, even though Connected Women is our brand. <clears throat> and what we're looking at is if we can build a meaningful matching engine. That's what MetaMatch actually means. It means meaningful matching. Mm -hmm. It comes from like the word of like benevolence and loving kindness. Mm -hmm. So we're thinking that you know if there's a way that we can create a way for technology to to create better matches. Um, people to people matches, then we could use that technology in other applications and match many different, um, mm. you know, many different types of matches. But for me, my heart is with women because mm. I've worked with women for so many years and, um, you know, I just, I understand the challenges of women entrepreneurs so deeply. Mm. And I really feel that a lot of those can be solved with, you know, with this is one solution, I guess, for helping women grow and scale their businesses. Yeah, it's good that you have that focus. And I think, yeah, like you said, connected women would be kind of weird to open it up to men. But like you said, uh, Meta Meta Connect is the Meta Match. Meta Match is the company. You know, you could if you develop that technology, you could scale it into another business or another brand other than connected women, right? I mean, there's yeah, no, I think if once no we've got it working, yeah. um, and once we've got the algorithms working so that it matches really well, then one thing that I would love this application to be used for in future, um, maybe is the investment matching. Because mm. investment matching is such a weird process, right? It's kind of like most of the time the entrepreneur is pitching to the investor. And I feel that it's not really, um, I mean, we've spent, <clears throat> thank God I don't have to work in this space a lot because Ruth does it, but it's like the time that we have been looking for investors, um, sometimes you sit down, you have a meeting and then you realize that, well, we're a social impact led company. And <clears throat> a big part of what we want to do is not just make money, but also make a social impact. And I realized after like half an hour to 40 minutes to an hour of sitting with an investor that they have no interest in helping women. They have no interest in social impact. They're purely commercial. Mm -hmm. And that's great for them to be matched to someone who has a similar vision for their company, but it's a waste of both of our time to sit when actually we're mismatched from the offset. Well, I mean, you're only mismatched if, they don't, if you don't think you can make money for the investor, right? Um, no, I think that there's a certain... Um, for me, like, I think the best match is a match that matches on different levels, not just, I mean, because we could make money for them, but then... Well, well I agree. Well, it depends on your stage, mm -hmm. I think. But I, I do agree that an investor should bring more to the table than just money. But, I mean, by the same token, you're only really truly mismatch if you're 
if you're intending to never make a profit, which you may be from what you said. You may not want to make money, but I'm pretty sure Ruth would kill no, you if you did No, we would love to make money. <laughs> <laughs> I want to make money because impact is what I measure. So when, mm. so when I look at like the impact, if, that, if every impact converts a dollar, then that's like my best my best win, because I know that I make, I can count my impacts against a dollar. But um, I also want to work with people who really care about what we're doing. Mm. I think, you know, people who get it, that if I sit with an investor, okay, it's a fair question to say why women, um, but if I've already explained um, sort of like why, we're, why we want to help women, why we want to help women in the Philippines, why we want to work with women, women entrepreneurs, where the opportunity is, and sort of like 40 minutes into the, the discussion, they're still like, but there's a bigger market if you go outside of women. To me, I'm like, well, they don't really get it. But that's fine, you know, because I probably don't get where they're coming from as well. Mm. But I think you have to come to that understanding where you both get what the whole point is. And you know, it's a long haul, right? You don't want to get into bed with someone who doesn't have the same <laughs> bed preferences. Not one would hope. Not in a sexual way. <laughs> I guess it depends, depends on what you're looking for. Sometimes it's good to spice things up. But... You know, if you talk about just women, I mean, you're still talking about half the population. Now, of course, you, you have to segment down to that and dive in. But, you know, it's still a big population overall, yeah. right? It, women, it's huge, yeah. ha half the world, right? Give if we take. could just nail those, then that would be good. If That'd we could be... just nail all those women, yeah. <laughs> just the ones that want to work. Yeah. <laughs> no, well, the ones who want to, not just the ones who want to work, but the also the ones who, who want to give work. Yes. Right, who yeah. want to employ. Yeah. So we're, sizable market, but I, I mean, I can understand from an investor's perspective that there, there's a bigger market out there if you open it up to men or, you know, you scale into other countries eventually. But if you have a, a mission for the business, right, I think you do have to be true to that. And that's important. Mm. But you also have to be open to pivot if it's not working. Absolutely. Yeah. And uh, I'm open to looking at it. I mean, I mean, one thing that I am looking at is could there be VAs coming in from other countries later? Because mm. some markets serve certain skills better than others, right? I mean, yeah. Philippines is great with customer service, really good English skills, actually very creative as well. Um, so I think that we've got a really big strength in the Philippines um, in that space. But, um, you know, some areas I find cha more challenging. For example, coding, like harder to find female coders. Um, yeah, India, Pakistan would be kind of great markets for that, even for women. Absolutely. They have a, India has a lot of uh, women graduates in engineering and computer science. Yeah. It would make sense. And even the marketing, actually. I find that marketing here is very customer-centric, content-centric marketing. But the analytical side, I think, I think there's a lot of potential for the Philippines to really develop their um, understanding of kind of like the, the analytics. And um, it's... I think it's difficult to find good coders and good um, analytical marketers here for two reasons. One is the good ones are getting poached outside of the Philippines already. Yeah. So the price point goes up a lot, um, especially by the big companies. And second, secondly, I just don't think it's a big focus at the moment. I think there's been so much focus because of the BPOs on, on the customer service yeah. uh, and voice that it's kind of been a little bit overlooked. But I think there's one area that I see a lot of potential for the Philippines, and that's the marketing automation. Really? Yeah, because it's kind of like, it's very, um, it's converting the, um, the customer service into something that can be replicated mm. automatically. So replicating the Filipino style of customer service? I think so, yeah. yeah. Like the user experience side is strong here. So now that there's a lot of bots coming out, um, I think like 
when we first came back, there was a lot of fear around the bots. Like, oh, you know, will the bots be basically cannibalizing the BPO industry in the Philippines? But the more I look at it, it's not easy to configure a bot if you're not a technical person. Like setting up, managing, monitoring the bots is like mm -hmm. any automation. It needs a person to actually look at it and check in on it and optimize it. So I think that, um, you know, where it might move away from manual customer service, I think that like bot management might be a thing. That's a good insight. I mean, move in, capture that market now with Filipino women workers, and next thing you know, you, you control the, the industry. The bot industry. The, that would be a really cool industry to control. The customer service, you know, kind bots. of marketing, bots, Filipino style. Yeah, and yeah. I think we're really well equipped to do it. But I, I thought one of the things you said was interesting, that you're kind of lacking on those analytical skills, those kind of basic data science skills. Do you think that's just a product of the market not requiring those skills here or is that kind of an educational breakdown or a resource breakdown? I think it's a little bit early. Like I think um, the demand is probably like there's a lot of demand I think even on platforms like Upwork for social media, content mm. marketing, um, that type of thing, like data entry, admin. I think a lot of the the demand is coming from um, those areas but I think that that will change. I think mm. that a lot of people will start looking for you know, because it's really, if you think about social media kicking off, what, like 10 years ago, really, mm -hmm. like commercially, most people were still figuring out what to post. Yeah. Nobody's really been analyzing like the ROI. I think now people are a little bit more conscious of the fact that, you know, is it actually making me any money? Is it worth putting the time in? Um, so I think that more and more entrepreneurs want to know what they're getting out of their Facebook posting. If they're, if they're, especially if you're spending on one person dedicated to managing that, you want to know if it's actually converting, right? So, yeah. um, and it's kind of like an area that we've struggled even actually within our own team. Like when we're hiring for um, the more, those on the marketing side that are doing, for example, ad optimization and then looking at um, conversions and reporting on that. It's, but I'm not analytical myself. So it could be that you know, I'm trying to hire for a role that I'm not really that strong in myself. Mm. So you may hear a different story if you talk to people that are actually in, you know, in, in that, that space. space. Yeah, that's interesting. Now, I, I, I just, I really find that you know the the market side overall, the business model of you know connected women is interesting. And, you know, when when you first said it, connected women, I kind of thought of like the uh, the Japanese doll industry, but you know, <laughs> obviously something very different. <laughs> we were diverting a little, but perhaps we should not have had those beverages prior to the show. But you know, I, I love the space that you're going into because it, it does have quite a nice um, segue into working with other businesses that want to maybe tie this into their CSR money or, or something like that. And have you seen any kind of companies reaching out to you with that regard? Um, so we work with um, corporate partners all the time. Um, normally, yeah, on the CSR side. So, um, you know, job creation is always big, yeah. whether it's from the local government or whether it's from um, companies that work in this space, especially the tech companies. So in the past in Singapore, we've worked with companies like Google, with Twitter, we've worked with Microsoft, um, we've worked with Facebook. Um, in fact, we're running a program with Facebook right now, oh, really? um, which is more on the um, training. Okay. Like, So we're training... Um, women how to use Facebook tools more effectively, the organic tools. Um, so yeah, I think that there's always, I think there's always a lot of interest from especially the tech companies to get women to, to use their tools better. Just because 
you know, the numbers don't show that the adoption is there. Hmm. How low is it? Um, so when we ran um, studies in Singapore, we were looking at 60% were not using productivity tools. Oh, wow. Yeah, um, in our segment. So this was these are women who have come from the corporate world. They've typically started up some kind of small business or consultancy um, in, say, the in like um, two to six years. So they're relatively early in their business and they're not really thinking about growing, but they actually start getting frustrated because they're busy all the time doing work that they don't like to do. Um, so when we look at how they're managing their business, things like online accounting, managing their data, setting up CRMs, um, communication tools, all of those things hold them back from, from scaling. And so with the training that you're, you're doing with Facebook on that CSR side, you're able to kind of give the women entrepreneurs in your network, not so much the ones looking to work, mm. but the ones who are looking to hire, giving them better insights into those tools, into those, those processes. Yeah, so the, the ladies that join, so it's a She Means Business program, which is a global program by Facebook dedicated to helping women entrepreneurs. Um, so what we do, really, we're looking at how they can scale their businesses using like online marketing in general. It actually covers a lot of digital marketing basics. So the segment that we get here in the Philippines are using Facebook personal pages and they have some kind of business or side business, but they're not, most of them are not using Facebook business pages yet. Okay. So, so a lot of them are using small a personal business. account. They're using personal accounts. So they're, they're kind of selling, you know, like homemade jams or, yeah. or like things that they've created um, or sometimes they're in real estate or whatever it might be. So they're already starting to use um, Facebook, but not actually really knowing how to maximize it so that they can expand, especially those that can expand like outside of the Philippines, you know, mm. to get global reach. Well, even, I mean, you don't really have to expand outside the Philippines. Your market's pretty big. It's huge, yeah. hundred million people. You know, and that's one of the things that we heard uh, a lot of in Jakarta, right? Indonesia mm. has multiple unicorns, right? They're all domestic unicorns. They can be that way because they have 300, 270 million people. Philippines, very large also, you know, similar economics, you know, infrastructure-wise, you're both archipelagos. You know, the market's huge domestically. How many of the businesses actually have to look to expand globally to be that successful? Yeah, I think the service businesses are really keen to look abroad. Like they, I think that for many reasons. Like on one hand, they want to work abroad because they're looking at bigger income. Yeah. But they also um, they want the experience, like the international experience, without having to leave home. Mm. I think for a lot of people, like when they fill out their application forms with us, you know, it's really about building their career and having the opportunity to work with people outside of the Philippines as well. Um, but I think for the product-based businesses in the Philippines, it's really challenging because it's logistics is hard in a mm. country like the Philippines. Yeah, like, anywhere we have an archipelago, logistics yeah. is difficult. Whenever I speak to, I mean, we tend to get a lot of the, um, the service-based women um, who are doing sort of like the VA type work. And then we have some that are doing local businesses and yep. then it tends to stay local. The ones, the few that I know startups, I think you might be interviewing one of them um, who do sort of like delivery boxes or anything like that. Style Genie is one of them. Um, they always say that, you know, if they can nail the logistics side, um, then there's a big opportunity. But no mm. one seems to have quite figured out how to do that yet. You know, I wish if I could figure out how to solve the logistics <laughs> in the Philippines or in Indonesia, I'd be here doing it because I'd be yeah. a trillionaire. Yeah. Just because the markets are massive and it's such a huge problem, right? You know it's difficult to ship from island to island, one end of the country to another. 
you can figure that out, make it cheap and effective. Well, if we can get a lot of people off the road because they're working from home, then yeah. that will free up the streets a little bit and solve that problem in a small way. Still, so. in a small way, I mean, <laughs> islands, locally to an island, but I mean, to go from part to part, very difficult. I was watching a video before I came to the uh, Philippines. The logistics is something I'm really interested in, uh, especially from a technical perspective. Mm. Because uh, it, it ties back quite a bit to like some of my um, my PhD research on IoT and sensors and all that. But I was watching one thing about there's one of the islands in the Philippines that was kind of remote, and they get a plane that comes in once every two weeks with supplies. And I was like a plane, this it, two weeks, and it's like a little like uh, not even a puddle jumper, like a little prop plane. And once every two weeks, it comes in and drops off supplies. I think the island had like a couple hundred people on it, but yeah. You know, yeah, Amazon um, won't be able to yeah, you know, <laughs> ship you, anything in. You're not getting that two-day Amazon Prime delivery <laughs> out there. I'm telling you that, right? And yeah, yeah. but I mean, I I don't even know if they have internet. It didn't go into any of that in the video, and I didn't really get to dive deeper in. But I'm sure that's not a unique situation. I'm sure there's a lot of places in a country like Philippines where. Yeah logistics are challenging and time restrictive and expensive. I mean, even just getting things delivered within Manila is really hard. Like even getting food delivered is, is kind of not quite there yet. Like, really? Yeah. I, I, I don't even try anymore. It's not easy. I mean, we're in sort of like South Manila, so we're not really far from, from any of the, the locations, you know, you wouldn't think it would be difficult, but it is difficult unless you're kind of going with one of these big fleets, like the fast food companies that Mm. can deliver to you. We got KFC. Um, yeah, hey, you guys got KFC here. I think there's KFC everywhere, right? Jollibee is mainly the, the popular. What, what's that? Jollibee. Jollibee. Yeah, they also do chicken. They do chicken in a box. I, I would think you guys would have like a fried bacon place in the Philippines that would be popular because you guys love pork, right? Oh yeah, but here it's lechon. Right? It's like the the whole roasted pork. Oh okay. okay. Yeah, we don't want like the little skinny bits. You, do, the you need, need bits. the whole thing. Right? We want like the chunks, like the big chunks. <laughs> the crispy, the crispy skin. <laughs> <laughs> I, I, was, I was talking earlier um, to another episode about when my, when I first moved to Thailand, I was living in an apartment building near an international hospital, and all the all the nurses were Filipino. Yeah, and most of the doctors as well. It was basically a plastic <laughs> surgery hospital where people would go from other countries, have surgery, be taken care of, like a resort. And uh, so all the nurses were Filipino and they sp- you know, they all spoke English well and they would live like uh, three to a room, but it was actually six because they yeah. would live six in a room and they would work 12 hour shifts uh, almost every day. And so they would just switch whoever was there like in morning and night and, and go back and forth. But my whole building always smelled like bacon. <laughs> Because all they ever did was cook pork. They were, if they weren't at work, they were cooking pork and drinking beer. Exactly. And you know that was their life. And so I remember one time, and I don't eat meat. And uh, one of them invited me over to their room to have some food and drink. It was and all meat. It was, so she opened up the pot, and there was like a pig face floating in the <laughs> pot. It was like one of these like big industrial rice cookers. It was just full of random pork parts. And it yep. smelled amazing. Don't get me wrong. Like You can't smell it and be like, oh, that's no good. You're like... Okay, even even as a vegan, I was like, all right, I can. It smells okay. I just go in and just see what they're doing. Yeah, but, vegetarianism is not really a thing here. Well, actually, I think it's kicking in a little bit now, but generally, it's like a very meat eating. Yeah, kind they, of like they love their pork, but yeah, and they love beer. They love pork and, and they love Thai beer for some reason, which I think is horrible beer. Oh really? Yeah. Probably because they can't get San Miguel, maybe. It's expensive in Thailand yeah. because of the import taxes, but you can get like Singha for like thirty baht, which would be like forty pesos. 
Although one of the things that surprised me coming back to the Philippines after years of being away is like the beer culture has died down in a big way. Really? Because I love beer and I'm a, I'm a beer drinker and I, I, like all my memories of the Philippines was like drinking beer. But now I find that... Wait, wait, but I thought you left at 15. Yeah, it was a long time ago. No, <laughs> wait, so all your memories of before drinking beer 15 in high school. was drinking beer? Yeah, I was a little bit older than 15. But, but no, now it's like coffee. Like I get really surprised. Like when I came back, I couldn't believe how many Starbucks there are. Because, you know, it's, Starbucks is like premium coffee. The Starbucks and, is crap coffee. Yeah, yeah it's not my favorite Actually, coffee. we were just at a, uh, Emily and I went to a cafe before the show. And uh, I had a site, it was, um, I forget what it was called, Vienna Cafe or something like that. But they, they do siphon brew, which is one of my favorite preparations for coffee. And I got Filipino beans. There's a lot, there's a big coffee market here. In fact, I'm going to introduce you to someone who's like at one of the, oh, awesome. Yeah, she's like um, the coffee lady. Part yeah. of the Women in Coffee Philippines. Tell her, and, tell her to bring coffee when she comes. Oh, because yeah. She has a really lovely coffee shop. You should check it out. I will. Yeah, I, it's not too far. I love coffee. Really nice coffee. And they're proper, like, you know, very purist about it. You nice. know, like, But, yeah, but coffee like culture is huge here now. And chocolate is up and coming, I think, in the Philippines as really? well. Really? Yeah, like down in the south in Davao, like amazing chocolate. Really? Chocolate and coffee. I could move here then. It's not that. Exactly. But no, but no vegan food, right? Just chocolate yeah, and coffee. Yeah, exactly. There's, you'll have to live on chocolate and coffee. Yeah. yeah. You <laughs> no don't vegetable. want pork. That's, that's one of the things. I remember that the, the girls never cooked uh, vegetables, always pork. <laughs> not a single vegetable in sight. But actually, you know, the OFWs, like the Overseas Foreign Workers, that's another reason why Connected Women was born, actually. Mm, really? Yeah, because my mom was in OFW. She went to the UK in the 70s to become uh, a household help. Okay. And so... I grew because my mom married in the UK. I was one of the, like I was. I grew up there, so um, I used to go to all these Filipino parties. Same mm. thing as your experience, you know, like the cooking and like everyone hanging out and pretty much just in between shifts. And a lot of my mom's friends had left their kids in the Philippines, so mm. I really grew up with this culture of sort of like all my my titas, my like my um, so-called aunties, my mom's friends would say, "Oh, you know, I have a daughter your age. Here's here's like a picture of my daughter." And I would think to myself, you know, being like seven or eight, like, wow, Filipino women just leave their kids <laughs> back home. You know, they really don't like their kids. They're not really like motherly. And I had that perception. And I realize now why, you know, because they, they go abroad because of that. Opportunity. opportunity. Now, it's yeah. true, though. And everywhere I've ever been in the world, it, especially like staying in hotels in Singapore or, you know, the Middle East, you know, mm. almost <clears throat> always, even in Thailand, Almost always, the uh, the staff are Filipino. Yeah, and I mean it makes sense because generally pretty well educated, generally have very good English, you know, and like you said, personable customer service mm -hmm. seems to be a big focus, and you know, whenever you go to like somewhere like I was at, uh, I stayed at a hotel Fort Canning in uh, Singapore, right there in the park. And uh, everyone who worked there was Filipino. Yeah. Everyone. Yeah. And uh, the girl at the front desk was like, told me uh, one night, I was, I, was asked, I was like, oh, where can I go to eat? And she's like, oh, do you like Filipino food? And I was like, I'm vegan. She's like, then no, you don't. <laughs> but, uh, you know, but they're so kind and so helpful. And I, I know that a lot of other industries, like a lot of Filipino men work in construction overseas. Yeah. And they spend their like their whole adult life practically overseas, so they don't see their kids grow up. Mm. Um, both the women and the men, you know, like so. Typically, one would go abroad, and the 
one would say behind or sometimes both would go abroad and then the kids are left with the grandparents or the aunt Mm. and then those who went abroad would then sort of fund everybody else's family so that's a very big part of Filipino culture and it has been for decades now so I really think that the remote space is going to change that I think Mm. that a lot of Filipinos like all the Filipinos I meet overseas love the Philippines they don't really want to be outside of the Philippines Um, they all talk about going home and retiring back home or just you know whatever opportunity that they have, like starting a business back home. So I think that, um, you know, a huge majority wouldn't leave if they had the opportunity. That's fine because, I mean, not to say that that's not right, but all the nurses who I met in Thailand where I lived, they all wanted to get jobs in Europe or the U.S. So they didn't want to go back to the Philippines. They were taking the job in Thailand to get experience working outside the Philippines so they would then have a better chance to get a higher paying job in the U.S. or in in uh, Europe. And I actually remember one of the girls telling me her mother had been a nurse in the U.S. like a long time ago, like back in the 70s. And there was actually like a Filipino-American Nurses Association or something. Oh, yeah. I mean, there are huge, even in the U.K., I mean, there are huge communities of Filipinos who kind of like, you know, they're second or third generation Filipinos that have been living there and they don't want to go anywhere. I mean, even Mm. for myself, I didn't really think about coming back to the Philippines. Like it wasn't on my radar because I grew up in the U.K. Um, But... You know, I think that for those that are that go abroad just for the work and they leave like their kids behind because they have no other opportunity, then really all they think about is is just how can they get back. In fact, yeah. in Singapore, there's um, a really awesome organization. It's called IDA, and it's um, an entrepreneurship training school for Filipino maids. So, or actually for all. Um, um, domestic workers, but mm. majority of Filipinos, I think there's a few Myanmar and, and, and others as well. But what they do is on the days off on Sundays, they can either self-fund or the employers can fund them. And they go to this school and they learn entrepreneurship skills. They learn how to do a business plan. They learn financial literacy. And it's really great because majority of Filipino overseas workers will, especially when they're sort of like the low skilled workers, they'll send all their money back like month after month and they'll never save. And so when they finally go back, there's nothing. All their years away for nothing. So what, what's the point of them? They're just sending the money back to help their family? Or? Yeah. And they, they basically fund like the whole family sometimes. Like, you know, the sisters, children, schooling, the, yeah, like everything. Like the extended family. So, um, you know, Ida really encourages them to save money mm. and then come up with a business plan. Even if it's a simple business plan, like a small piggery with like mm. three or four pigs or, you know, a little like buying a jeepney or something like that so that they have they put something aside for when they go home. That's going to be a really tough fight because that, that sounds like a cultural thing, yeah. right? Where you're, you're, you're sending all your cash back to fund yeah. your whole family. That's, and you said that happens a lot. So yeah. it makes me think that's a cultural aspect of Philippines. And then you have an organization that's trying to change that. That's not an easy, an easy task. No, but I think that it works. Like, I think that when the success stories, cause you know, like the sustainability idea is there, right? Like if you can, you know, build a small business that will actually earn money, then that's actually better for your family. Mm. So often they can get the families to run those businesses rather than just waiting for like the incoming remittances. Um, So it's a much more, you know, it's a healthier outlook Mm. and it's a more sustainable model. And I think that a lot of the time it's just a bit of education and storytelling as well, like Mm. success stories. This is a very interesting model for sure. And challenging though, right? I mean, Anytime you're fighting culture, anything, yeah. anytime you're trying to change culture, it's an uphill fight. Yeah, and I think, it, you know, the saving thing as well. It's like, you know, financial literacy is a big challenge in, in general, in general yeah. right, at that, at that level. Um, <clears throat> so I think, 
you know, just telling people that actually you're better off putting your money or investing it or saving it rather than spending on something that you think you desperately need right now is always going to be difficult. But that, that is, like you said, it, financial education is challenging no matter where you are in the world, no matter where you grew up. You know, a lot of people just don't understand it because it's not part of the, you know, the lexicon of, of nature for most people. And it's how you were brought up, isn't it? It's like your perception of finance is often how you saw it as you grew up. Very true. I have a really weird relationship with money because my my parents were domestic workers in the UK for like really rich families. So I grew up in mansions with like millionaires. And so I played with a lot of millionaire children, but my parents were like working class. And then when my parents took their savings and we went back to the Philippines to start a business, we were basically rich because, you know, like once we went back to my mom's poor town, we were we were from abroad. So by default, we were richer. Um, <clears throat> so... It's like I've experienced both extremes where I've been like on the poor end of the spectrum and on the rich end of the spectrum, but neither really. Mm. Um, same with height, actually, because in the Philippines, I'm pretty tall, but then in the UK, I'm pretty short. So. <laughs> I seem to be tall everywhere I go. I haven't found anywhere where I'm short yet. I'm, I'm, I'm waiting for that experience. Where's the place where they have really tall people? Isn't it like... Yeah, like, no, yeah, basketball yeah, team. Go hang out at NBA team. Or maybe like Kenya like where all the runners are, runners are Sweden. from. Sweden. Oh, yeah, you've got to experience it. Yeah. Until you've felt short, you've not really experienced like the depth of perspective. Yeah. <laughs> That's an interesting concept though about like you grew up, so you grew up living in the mansions, like I guess in service mm -hmm. quarters or? Yeah, sort of above the, above the garage. Wow. Mm. And that yeah. was like your, your childhood growing up like that. Yeah. And it was really interesting because one of my parents' employers was like a Nigerian self-made millionaire. And he was really, really cool guy, like real tycoon. So his mansion was in the Bishop's Avenue, which mm. is like what they call Millionaire's Row. Mm. Opposite our house was the Sultan of Brunei's house. Oh, wow. And he only flew in and out of the UK. You know, oil was really um, um, big money for the Nigerians at that time. Mm -hmm. uh, but he was like an entrepreneur, like really entrepreneurial. So his... He came from poor roots. His father was a tailor. And then he, for some reason, realized that all the buttons in Nigeria were kind of the same. So he started importing buttons from Italy mm -hmm. and then selling the buttons to tailors. And that's how he started making his money. And then he moved into pretty much everything like, um, you know, thermos flasks and big pens and anything that he could bring back to Nigeria and manufacture for the Nigerian market, he would do. So. Very cool. And so. No, both your parents are Filipinos? My dad's um, European. Okay. So, yeah, British. Okay, so your dad's British and your mom's Filipino. That's right, yeah. Wow, and they were both domestic workers. Yeah, well, my dad was a mechanic. Oh, okay. And then when he met my mom, they realized that there was like this kind of like um, market for living couples. So, really? Yeah. So he was so. like a, a living mechanic and she was a Yeah, he was like chauffeur, gardener. And then my mom was like cook and housekeeper. That's kind of cool. It was kind of cool actually. Like the, it was a it was an interesting lifestyle. But I'm an only child, so it was like really boring because I was just wandering around the like the mansion. <laughs> and if the guy came, like the millionaire guy, I would just kind of like follow him around and hide behind plants really? and listen to him on the phone because he would have he would like shout on the phone and like he always used to say, "Money is no object. Money is no object." So <laughs> it was like. I realized, I think, at that early age that even if you have all the money, you can't always get everything you want. Mm. Yeah. No, go ahead. Go ahead. Dive oh, yeah, so, no, so he had like these Rolls Royces. He had like two Rolls Royces and then a Jaguar. And the Jaguar was like the shopping car for like his third wife. So, yeah, my dad would like drop me off in school in this Rolls Royce. It was so embarrassing because I just went to like a regular school up the road. 
And my, and my dad's like white, right? So he has his chauffeur's hat on and, he's, and I'm like sitting in this Rolls Royce and I'm telling my dad to drop me like two blocks away from the school because I don't want to be seen getting out of the Rolls Royce because everyone would accuse you of being rich, which is never a cool thing. Right. Um, accuse you of being rich. Yeah, like, oh, you're really rich. I saw you in a Rolls Royce. <laughs> So, and you have to be like, no, my dad's a chauffeur. Yeah, exactly. There's so much stigma around money, right? Like on every angle, you, there's nothing good. So I think that's why like, you know, what, you know, after the time you self-analyze and you go, what is my relationship with money? And I think I'm pretty neutral, actually. I think I've seen really rich people um, and really poor people. Hmm. And I haven't really seen any correlation between happiness at either end. So I think, I wouldn't say that I'm not into money. I just say that I'm kind of detached from like the whole concept of it. You kind of still need it though. Oh, yeah. I love yeah. money in that sense. Yeah. For spending. Well, for <laughs> living, stuff right? And for living. Living. I, like, I like to eat. I like to drink coffee. Yeah, but, basics, I think. Yeah, I mean, when you think about, you know, that relationship and how it gets formed, you know, growing up around millionaires and billionaires, living in mansions, you know, but on the outskirts of it, like you said, living above the garage or in a house out back or something like that, and kind of being on the peripheral of that environment to... Then switching, I think you said at age 15 you came back? Um, yeah, so about 14, first year high school. Yeah, okay, 14, you came when, back to Philippines and your parents started a business, you said? Yeah, in my mom's like really rural, provincial hometown. So you would have it been... It was a pig farming business. So a pig farming, <laughs> yeah. still, still a business, agricultural business. And like you said, that moved you from being living in servants' quarters to being on the upper yeah. rung of financial... Success, I yeah, because like the farmers are like the congressmen, and like you know, it's kind of a high end business, pig farming, because mm. it requires a lot of capital. Yeah. And, so, and Filipinos love pork, and Filipinos love pork, so there's always a good market. So, mm. and so, I mean, that's that's got to be a very drastic change within the span of a flight, huge, yeah, to go huge. from you know, servants' quarters to top of the rung. Yeah, yeah, it was, I, th I think my life is really extreme, like on so many levels, like extreme in that I've, I've gone from like one end of the spectrum to the other multiple times. And so it's been really interesting. And I think that um, a lot of my perspective and my entrepreneurial side, I think comes from that because it's, I've really seen like the two different sides. And mm. I think it's kind of hard to grasp it unless you've actually lived it. And we live, and I live pretty rough as well because after our business, because we had this um, volcanic eruption, in the Philippines, this was in 1991. Wait, wait, wait. There was a <laughs> volcano that erupted here? Yeah, so where, um, it's Mount Pinatubo erupted in 1991. Yeah. And it was an unexpected eruption because nobody was really clocking it as a volcano. Mm. It was kind of like a mountain. It was mm. like really young. So when it blew, it really blew. And so um, my mom's area was really badly affected. Um, so we lost our business in that eruption. It was destroyed or what, what happened? Yeah, like basically the ash... Um, like the, the wet ash came mm -hmm. down and it just weighed down roofs. So it just flattened businesses. Wow. Um, and that was actually, we were lucky because our area was um, like, we had the ash coming down, but we didn't have the mud flow. Okay. So there were whole towns that were completely buried in, in mud flow at that wow. time. Wow, just people just completely engulfed in, oh wow, that's yeah, horrible. Yeah, it was extreme. It was 26 years ago, I think now. And um, yeah, you could, I just re-looked at the footage last year and I was really shocked watching back the footage because my parents were in the UK when it happened and I, it was really extreme but I guess because I was so young I didn't really know what was happening I was only 16 so were you there at the town when it happened or yeah so I, I ended up evacuating I was 
I was there and then I left. I went to, so my dad was like trying to contact me because mm. they had more information in the UK about, about it than we had in the Philippines where we were. And so my dad sent a telex for me to go to take a phone call. And he was basically saying, get out because the mm. airbase was um, evacuating. Okay. And then, um, and I was like, oh, you know, but we could see the mushroom cloud. We thought that was in. So we were kind of like, oh, it's already erupted. It's fine. It's done now. Mm. Nobody really was very well informed about what was going to happen. And then what we didn't realize was that the mushroom cloud was going to come down mm. um, in the form of like ash rain. Yeah. So, um, so yeah, so I was, I'd gone somewhere with my cousin. So I was 16, my cousin was 18. We went to visit friends and then it all came down when we were away. So we got separated from our family. Wow. It was really nuts. Um, so how many people lost in that eruption? Um, so I think there were like over a million people displaced um, from the surrounding areas, but mm -hmm. a lot of people were evacuated. So actually the, their death count was relatively low. Okay. Um, I think the US were really, the um, airbase um, Americans were really good at trying to get people to evacuate, but it was mainly like destruction of property and like yeah. towns and... So just the whole business destroyed, pigs dead. But you know, the funny thing is that the... The Pampanga ash mm -hmm. business is like massively booming now. So where Pampanga had like all this um, destruction happen after the eruption and years and years of like lahar coming down, like the mud flow coming down, destroying everything. Now it's like their biggest um, business. Well, it went on for years, the mud flow. Yeah. So now they're digging up the sand and building the hollow blocks for building um, houses oh. and sending out the shipping the sand everywhere and this sand apparently builds bricks stronger than like non-volcanic sand mm. so they're minting it now oh, that's amazing it's, it's really cool it's a great way to turn Up from the ashes yeah right? Right? Literally. A great way to turn a disaster into a uh, a positive and i think it's a kind of a great point to end on great story gina i want to thank you so much for coming on the show taking the time to tell some stories make some dirty jokes and uh, just, you know, really have an enjoyable conversation. Do me a favor and uh, tell the listeners where they can find out more about you, how they can get in touch with you, and how they can find out more about Connected Women. Sure. So um, right now we have the Connected Women community, um, which is www.connectedwomen.co. So CO for community. Um, that's a magazine. So you can read all sorts of inspirational stories there from members in the community itself. And if you're interested in the job matching, just click the button that says jobs and that will take you right onto the job matching site. Fantastic. And how can people find you? I know are you on LinkedIn. Do you have your own kind of profile? Because I know that you're kind of a big deal. <laughs> um, well, I'm pretty much on Facebook most of the time. Okay. So you can connect up with me on Facebook. Just search for me or connect me on LinkedIn. That's fantastic. That's absolutely fine. Guys, all of those links will be down in the show notes. That's my producer Emily's job to make sure that happens. Pressure, pressure, pressure. Pressure. Cringing, cringing. Dun, 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 dun. <laughs> but guys, check that out. Find out, Gina. If you are a woman entrepreneur out there listening to this and you want to employ a uh, remote worker, virtual assistant in the Philippines. Gina is your connection. So definitely check that out. And until next time, stay on that grind. This is the Southeast Asia Business Podcast with me, Dana Bloom. Oh yeah, If you can't reach me, I apologize. I didn't ignore you, I was in the sky. In disguise, man, you know I got a big surprise. Ask me why, cause I'm trying to build an enterprise. Yeah.